tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Welcome back, listeners, to the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I'm joined for this episode by an Aberdeen Football Club legend. Uh, he was part of the, the team that won the Scottish Cup in 1990, slightly before my time, I may add. Uh, but I'm absolutely delighted to have Brian Irvin on Campbell's Footballs for this episode. Brian, it's an absolute delight to have you on the show. How are you doing? Great to be on your show as well, Nancy. Just thank you for having me on and delighted to be with you. You've made me feel very old at the outset when you mentioned that you weren't even born back in the day of 1990, my, my famous year at Aberdeen. Um, that makes me feel very, very old. Very, very glad to be with you. Yeah, it's it's fabulous to have you on. Uh, first of all, how are you keeping with no football to entertain ourselves at the moment? Yeah, listen, it, um, it's more of a football fan now. Myself, I've, my last throw of the dice was in 2015 with... Um, I was out in Korea, actually doing some consultancy work with a friend um, and so that was my last work as a professional and saying that I was with the academy, the youth academy at Ross County uh, up until about last year 2018 and obviously and other things as well, the police and things like that, I've been in Aberdeen Police but now I'm, I'm just a football fan um, so yeah, I'm missing it with everyone else um, it was very quick, I was at the Aberdeen Hibs game on the 7th of March, I think it was. Yeah. As an as an ambassador, um, came back up the, on the train that night, thinking, well, my next game I've been asked to do is a Hearts game on the fourth of April, and just planning ahead for that. And never for a minute did you think this lay ahead of us. So it's been unprecedented and it's been surreal, um, and it's just amazing how it's all changed so quickly. And um, this has made it a very very strange time over these last couple of months. It certainly has, and uh, you know it's, it's quite extraordinary to think because I remember that Hibs game very vividly because Aberdeen were a goal down. I remember Stephen Whitaker was sent off, and and Aberdeen really turned that game around, and they, they had momentum in that battle for third place, and they were in the Scottish Cup semi-finals, and you know there was dreams of maybe replicating that 1990 team's winning success, albeit they would have had to beat Celtic and either Hibs or Hearts in the final. Yeah, it'd be a tough one, no matter what happened uh, in the running. But yeah, the leak, the leak potential was there. Ironically, the game that was put off the night that the, the shutdown or the lockdown committee effect was the mother game. That's right. So what would have happened there? I haven't done the sums exactly. But if Aberdeen had won that game at Fir Park, would, they have, would that have been the points enough for them to go? They would have moved place? above Motherwell, yeah. I think they would have moved above them. And uh, it was quite funny you mentioned that game because I was actually in Edinburgh that week when the lockdown came into play because, uh, or the, the cancellation came into play because I was I was going to be watching the Motherwell Aberdeen game with a friend of mine in Edinburgh and then we were going to go and watch Edinburgh City on the Saturday uh, and unfortunately it was just blanketed out on the Friday and you know, I stayed with my friend on the Friday night and then I just came up the road for fear that I would I, I would be stuck and not be able to go anywhere but it's a real shame but at a time like this you know you have to be kind of sensible and you know make sure you adhere to both the government's uh, uh, guidance but also just make sure that you are very close to, to friends and family, if possible. Oh yeah, I think um, it's, put into, it's put into perspective that family comes first and, you know, some key things that we kind of think are important. I've got to remember that's the important things in life. Absolutely. The football's important as well for people to enjoy and relax uh, mm. about, you know, for, for spectators, obviously for players it's their livelihood, but, you know, football's got its place as well and... Um, but yeah, there's a perspective, I think, with what's happened, just what's the important things in life. Yeah. 
No, you're absolutely correct, Brian, and I think that's a very important point. Uh, I really want to explore your career, uh, Brian, I hope you don't mind, uh, because I think it's a very interesting career, and as I said, you know, you're part of the last Aberdeen team to have won the Scottish Cup, which, which seems like a long time ago now, and, you know, I was watching highlights the other day of when Hibs beat Rangers in that Scottish Cup final, which was exactly four years ago today, and was recording us on the 21st of May, and, you know, that was a long time that Hibs had gone without winning it and then obviously they, they did win it and, and you know it feels like Aberdeen have done it longer and it, you know it was it's it's quite extraordinary but I'm really interested to hear about your own career so my first question to you Brian is what made you want to go into football in the first place growing up as a young kid? Um, I didn't really I didn't really think I would be a footballer because um, I did like playing football when I was a boy enjoyed playing football at school but um, with, as you can see at the moment I've glasses um, so I was the same when I was a boy I, I still needed glasses um, so when I took my glasses off to play football it, it, when it wasn't too bad it didn't affect me but then my eyes actually got worse right. and so that put me off so I stopped playing football my fourth and fifth year at school so I didn't go in the natural path where you go into a, a professional team straight from school I kind of went out of the game completely out of sight at that point so there wasn't although there was plenty of choice down in the central belt of teams to, to go to I played tri um, I played trials with Dumbarton Airdrie I think and teams like that there's plenty of choices but nobody had picked, picked me up especially now that I'm basically out of football mm -hmm. but then I, I got my, my contact lenses and got back into the football in my fifth year at school and very quickly within months literally I was getting opportunities to go and trial I remember going to trial with Falkirk where I eventually did sign for Falkirk um, and that's where the dream came true that I got the chance to play albeit semi-professionally uh, as a professional football player yeah. and, you know it, it was a dream but one that I didn't think was going to happen because, as I say, because of my eyesight and because of my, well, other things at school, I just stuck in at school, got, was quite good with my numbers, so I was quite good at maths and things like that, so I ended up working in a bank, and I was three years in the bank, and then working for the bank while I was playing for Falkirk, so that was the, the reason, it was really that was the route I was going down, as a mad keen Aberdeen fan yeah. when I worked in the bank. Bank, um, but never thought for a minute in a few years' time I could be playing alongside these 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 legends. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and it's quite interesting the connections with my own life because I, I like my, my numbers and my statistics as well, and obviously that's my nickname on Twitter, Stato underscore Grant, because my PhD, which I which I completed last year, was involved with statistics, and I've always been interested in football sort of facts and figures and that sort of thing. So it's quite interesting the connection there. But what I want to really look into the discussion about you know your inspirations Brian because you know everybody in football um, obviously has inspirations that kick off their own careers uh, or certainly are centred around your careers who were yours? I think um, my earliest inspiration as a boy was Kenny Dalglish uh, he was a, the main Scotland player in my generation early 70s I mean I watched the game in the weekend, I think Scotland against Brazil from the 74 World Cup. Yeah. And Kendall Ken Glish was one of the players that played in that game, a great game Scotland played, by the way. But nevertheless, Kendall Glish was just a, a, a really, really good player. And I can remember being. A, when you watched him, you didn't see the same things you could see watching a game now. But as a young boy watching it, it was just somebody I, I kind of looked and think he is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked what I liked about him was I thought his attitude was was fantastic. Um, so these 
that combination of a great player and a great attitude really inspired me. That's the sort of role model I would like to, to be if ever made as a football player. Um, when I was getting closer to becoming one myself, probably the connection with Aberdeen, I was a fanatical fan of Aberdeen at the time. Then Big Alec and Wally Miller, Big Alec McLeish and Wally Miller were yeah. the kind of inspirations I was taking as, as central defenders. And I found them quite um, good players to watch when you weren't a player. But when I became a player with them at Aberdeen, Alec in particular was a great um, role model for me that I really helped me as a fellow player. And he was a massive inspiration. So I think. Kendall Leach in the early days, but the time I was becoming a footballer, I see big Alec McLeish and even to lesser extent Wally Miller. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Scotland-Brazil game. I mean, my dad was watching that at the weekend pass there, and what, what I think he found quite extraordinary was the commentary from David Coleman about how the referee never even showed a, a red card in the game, because the Brazilians were quite, uh, they were quite dirty in that game. I think that's the case with football when you watch past games you think that would never get away with, away with it now you know defenders were able to make tackles that you know would be definitely red cards and they were doing well if they were lucky if they got a booking you know and this is maybe for their second or third tackle so yeah the game's changed I mean when you see the game played now all, as we've seen over the, the time of the lockdown all games we're seeing and you see the pass back so many times you think well that makes it look so easy yeah. you know and then but it was still part of the game and of course it was a way that teams sometimes use to waste time. You were want you're wanting to see out the game, the goalie would throw it out to you and the player would play it back. You'd run it somewhere else in the box, get it somewhere else and play it back to the goalie. Spent maybe try and spend two or three minutes just passing the ball back and forth to the goalkeeper. These were tactics that you used to just waste time that obviously with the changing rule you can't do now and it just changed the game. Yes it has. There's so many things. I think the game's just a different game altogether now. It is. It is. It absolutely is. And I, I think it could be changed for the better in parts, but also changed for the worse in other parts, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you should compare past with present. I think um, the game in the past was the game in the past, and the game today is the game today, and it's just two different things, two different games. Yes. So just enjoy them for what they are without having to compare. You can't you're not gonna be a old has been to say what was better in my day, for example. It's just it's just it was different and it was just that's the way it was then and, and the way it is now is, is just the way it is now. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Willie Miller and Alex McLeish. I mean they are two Aberdeen idols, aren't they? And two great guys as well off the pitch and obviously Willie's gone into the, the radio side and, 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 and the media side and, and Alex has obviously had a very interesting and partly successful managerial career at times well I think Alex is a fantastic Wally did okay as a manager not did too well at the end at Aberdeen but you know Wally had, had um, his own ideas as a manager at Aberdeen but Alex certainly was very very successful as a manager mm-hmm. at, uh, not just at um, well, just not, not just in Scotland. He's been abroad. You know, he's 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 probably had a more successful managerial career than he did as a playing yeah. career. And that, that could be more to do with maybe financial. He's, he's certainly um, he's done very very well at the manage, managerial side, Alec. But you know, for me, if you see Alec McLeish, for me, think comes into my head is always about how good he was as a player. I just thought Alec was an immense player. Probably underrated as a, a footballer because yeah. he's a very good defender, but also actually a very good player. And so, you know, the, these were two 
two legends that there's no way I was going to ever take their place. All I could do is try and make a name in my own way. Absolutely. And follow on from, from Alec and Wally because these were just two legends that just were un, unreplaceable, really. Yeah, they certainly were, and, and, and I think you brilliantly put them there as they did have a fabulous uh, time uh, at Aberdeen. Let's talk about yourself, though, Brian, because you said it earlier on that you started out at Falkirk. How did that come about, and why Falkirk? Uh, it wasn't too far from where I lived. I was being, my dad and mum were from Aberdeenshire originally, but my dad moved down to, to join the police. And so we were, in, we were actually living in a, a town called Airdrie, mm-hmm. which wasn't that far from where Falkirk was. So as I said, I tri- played trial games with Airdrie, Dumbarton, teams in the central belt. Um, and the, I think the Dumbarton manager was also Billy Lamont who was now sorry the Falkirk manager so he took took me along one night for a trial uh, to Falkirk and so that connection with, with Billy Lamont was the name of the manager gave me that opportunity at Falkirk and I always la- I remember it at this trial game against I can't remember the team but it only lasted half an hour be- before it was abandoned because I fogged the game <laughs> and uh, I had a good, good game in the half hour and that was enough for Billy Lamont that night to say right you did enough there Brian will sign you so I always think, you know, if that game had lasted the full hour and a half, they might have found me out. <laughs> so I'm thankful it was a foggy night. I only played half an hour and it was enough to get signed by Falkirk. And that was it. Once yeah. I started, I was in the reserves for the rest of that season. But the following season, I got uh, into the first team and played the whole season in the first team and, and, and did OK in the first team. Um, and I think I went down for a trial to York during the season. And then at the end of the season, I was taken along with a youth team from Charlton who were, was given permission by Falkirk to play with in a youth tournament in Germany and did okay in that and they were keen to sign me but once I found Aberdeen by this time Aberdeen were interested as well Yeah. and once I found out that Aberdeen were interested there was no no competition it was just okay Charlton it was great they'd asked me to sign it was an idea to probably been too early for me as a young player to go right into their first team and this was when they were in the equivalent of the English Premiership Charlton but Aberdeen was going to be more long term as you see Alec and Wally were the defenders and I wasn't going to come and replace them it was going to be maybe to take over after they, had, they were finished and they finished their career and so you know it was a longer term um, plan if you like uh, for Aberdeen but it didn't matter about that side of it I was just thinking I just want to uh, Aberdeen want me to sign for Aberdeen yeah. no competition here and, I mean I ended up signing a blank contract for Alec Ferguson when he came down to sign me in, in uh, Dunblane and I uh, was just so delighted was it to sign it turned out it was an extra year in the contract I didn't even think I'd sort of agreed a three year contract <laughs> yeah. when I got the contract it was four years Wow. And I was delighted thinking, oh, that's great, but of course, that's maybe not so good. You're better to, if, if you're confident in your own ability, you say, well, I've got signed for my three years, but the fourth year I can negotiate a new contract. I didn't think, I was naive, I didn't think that way. I just mm-hmm. thought, I've signed for four years. He wants me to play for Aberdeen for four years. I'm delighted. You know, so this was a dream come true in every sense of the word. Yeah. Let's go right back slightly and talk about you know when he started out at Falker. When you're a young lad and you're breaking into a team for the first time, do you automatically kind of feel a little bit um, naive at times and maybe think actually I need to you know really work on my defensive side of my game mentally, but also physically as well. How did that? How did that level of kind of, or how did those levels, I should say, um, how were they for you at the beginning? Yeah, just I think playing alongside 
uh, old pros like Jimmy Dempsey was his name and a boy, boy called Brian Purdy were just really beneficial to a young player an 18 year old just learning his time in the game and um, it was just fantastic to get the chance to, to learn from these guys because I would play some good games but I'd play some bad games yeah. as you can imagine as a young player mm-hmm. and, uh, and one I think one of the one game up we played and lost six four. Then the next week we won six four. So you know that wasn't good difficult games to be involved as a defender. Yeah. Um, but it was great experience. And as the season went on, you were getting more and more um, confident and doing better and better. And you know that game, for example, we lost six four. I remember playing a game at the end of the season, John nil nil in the game. So for a defender, that was really good to get getting top of the, the you know the your opponent and keep out the. The, the attacking players so, you know you, learn, you were learning all the time and it, it was a great learning experience and I really enjoyed my time at Falkirk and Barry Lambert was a great manager for me he used to take me training on my own as well because I couldn't get to training sometimes because of work at the bank and uh, you know I'm really good at, he, he's actually very friendly with Alec Ferguson so I think that maybe helped yes broke the deal when it came to moving to Aberdeen yeah and let's talk about um, Sir Alex in more depth because obviously you went to start playing for him in, in 1985 I mean he he is probably the, the best British manager of all time isn't he? I think so there's no no question whatsoever you know his, his experience was uh, the game was un, unmistakable undoubtable but what was also good was a lot of things that his man management was good you know he knew how to get the best out of you it was all well known that he was a good kick up the backside man but he was also a good arm round the shoulder man so you know he would he would give you a kick up the backside if he thought maybe that would, that would destroy you he would put the arm round your shoulder so that he had the good man management you know and that was in the early when he was still so young in his management career but he, he went on to bigger and better things at Manchester United and you know proved himself to be probably the best manager for me of, of all time in, in, in Europe especially yeah what was training like starting at Aberdeen because obviously I, I assume the, the level of intensity will have stepped up from a, from a side like Falkirk very much yeah and very Wally uh, sorry Alex Alex Ferguson Wally Gardner was the manager assistant manager at the time then it was when Wally left it was actually an ox who pulled away from uh, Wally so they were very SFA old school but very thorough they knew the, the ropes and the drills that we did at training were very very thorough and you know whether it was with the young boys reserves or the first team you were always learning and some of the, the routines at training for me they were intense but they were also very very good and mm-hmm. I learned a lot in those early days and, and becoming part time to full time football in my early days at Aberdeen yeah uh, I, I, I... The dressing room dynamic is something that I've always talked about with ex-pros and current pros because, you know, the the, the balance between, you know, great players and not so great players, or, or that's maybe a harsh term, but, you know, the, the balance in a team is held by mentally strong players and, and physically talented players. I mean, what was that dressing room, dressing room like, I should say? Yeah, there's a whole range of players, and as you say, that's a good description. You've, you've you're hitting the nail on the head there because it is a hard like one to call what makes a player a professional because when I'm coming through the, the, the reserves at Aberdeen and, and you saw lots of players that potentially were, top, were really top players but yet you think they never made it and it's just that fine line and it, it could be I spoke about how Kendall Leach um, impressed me but 
But I uh, used to be amazed was even not knowing about football and the youngster just watching him was just his attitude was so good. And I think attitude is so key. The attitude to either me, setbacks or difficulties you're finding to progress the fear and how you handle them are really, really key. And I think that's the difference between good players not making it and even average players making the grade yeah. and making a big name for themselves by having a good attitude and a good resilience. And I think resilience and you know is a key thing in football that players have to have. You get lots and lots of players you think, oh, he's got, he's got some chance to make it as a footballer, and they never make it at any level really yeah. because you know they just didn't have the resilience and the right attitude. Yes, no, absolutely, I agree with that. We've spoken a lot early on in the podcast about Willie Miller and Alex McLeish. Who else in that Aberdeen team when you were around? You know, who who did you think from an early stage they're going to go on to be really good players, or were they already are or already were really good players at that time? Yeah, I think they were already they already were good players. I think I I was very fortunate when I came to Aberdeen. I was taken under the wing by a lot of experienced players. We've got John McMaster, Billy Stark, Peter Weir, and also Stuart McKimmy. These these more experienced players than me as a young, a young player took me under a wing and again off the park as well as on the park they were a great ins- uh, inspiration to me and guidance to me and you know, as you say who would have taken from the young players well there was a number of good young players people that, there was a boy Stevie Gray who unfortunately passed away um, and he was he played in the League Cup final in 1986 and he had amazing ability but just had a wee bit of a um, the, the, the right attitude that was put out earlier and that's was maybe going to work against Stevie in his career yeah. um, so who oh, the young, probably Stevie's best pilot in the reserves at the time was it Joe Miller and of course Joe went on to have a good career and Joe had a, you know, twice appeared at Aberdeen yeah. um, Joe was a good Joe was a good young player he played at 17 in the first team and, and had a great ability always could beat players a great great time of pace and you could see that Joe was destined for, for great things it was the 1985 youth team won the BP Youth Cup at Stevie Gray Joe Miller played in and um, you know there was a lot of good Aberdeen players in that team who didn't actually make the the, the first team or um, high name in the game and that's the fine line that I speak about the one that did make it in that 1985 team I think it was Davy Robertson yes and Davy just had that steely determination that stood him in good stead right through now he's in coaching himself now Absolutely. but Davy just had that, that steely determination that other player with even better ability just didn't have that that, that determination and that yeah, I go back to that word resolve. Yeah, I mean, 1990 um, was really the season that that really defined Aberdeen as a club because you know they they had a really good battling run for the for the Scottish Premiership title, eventually finishing runner up. But obviously, winning the Scottish Cup in 1990, the last Aberdeen side to do so. How does it feel to be a part of that team that did that? I mean, it was a great season that year. That was all three trophies were very close. We won two and, and runner up another. So right. you know, you, you can't almost unless you win all three, beat beat that for the, the quality. So that was that was post uh, Alex Ferguson as well. But that was almost like a Alex Ferguson era type 
season. All credit to Alice Smith and Jockey Scott for getting the, the, the results and performances that we turned in to get the, because it was a really good team, and I could name the team probably off the heart now. Um, really good goalkeeper with Thieves Nails at the back, the full back, Stuart McKimmy, David Robertson, Big Alec and myself in defence, and a really good midfield as well with Jim Bay, um, Brian Grant, Grant, and Bobby Connor, you know, that's a quality midfield, international. Uh, players and up front you'd Hans Hillhouse and, and um, Charlie Nicholas so it was an exciting team it was a really exciting team and you've just named and, uh, the, the 11 there I was just looking at the, the teams from that 1990 final and you just named them straight off the cuff I'm so impressed with, <laughs> you know usually it's me saying that to my guests but when, it, when it's so ingrained like that and you, and you obviously because you were the last part of that last team to do that it just it just is second nature yeah, pretty much. I mean, these guys, you'll remember them for all time. You know, I was a fan on the park, and that's the way I look at how I, my my involvement in the 1980 Scottish Cup final. But obviously, a fan in the park had done what I did in the park during the game, especially, but also after the game, even being arrested. Yeah. That's what you do in the park. <laughs> but I was basically a fan who was able to get the, the privilege of you know, representing a player in the park. And, you know, that, I always remember that as a real privilege. And, you know, just for the when the penalties, we'll maybe speak about it. But, you know, the feeling when the ball went in the back of the yeah. net for all the Aberdeen fans cheering that moment. Yeah, I mean, I was having a look at the run to the final because they, they beat Partick Thistle in the, in the third round. They, they beat Morton through two goals from the Hill. House and, and Nicholas, they beat Hearts in the in the quarterfinals, and then that that semi final, you managed to get a goal yourself in the semi final against Dundee United. Yeah, I got a goal against uh, United in the semi, and I think one against Hearts in the quarters. That's right. Um, so it was obviously a good good tournament for me in the Scottish Cup in nineteen ninety, and you know just obviously the ice and the cake, you, you will not beat the uniqueness of it hitting the one penalty. That's yeah. You can't, you can't really beat it. That's that's boys' own stuff to, yeah. to do that for you. For boyhood team at Hampden Park, uh, you scored when the penalty in the Scottish Cup. You know it, it doesn't get any better. Now all you can do is do it again and again. It, you can't beat for the uniqueness of that moment for yeah. what you want to achieve in football. Absolutely. And in terms of the game itself, it it wasn't really a classic up until that penalty shootout, was it? Oh, absolutely. Terrible game. Good game for a defender, though, because as a defender, you've done your job. You've kept a clean sheet. You've kept out the opposing uh, strikers and done your job. So when it got to the penalties, it was now, for me, I thought, well, that's down to the guys for five. I'm sure it will work out before five. I won't go to sudden death. It was a bit of whatever happens here. So I didn't think I'd be involved at all in the penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. And, but that, that wasn't going to prove to be the case. Yeah. When Anton Rogan misses that penalty, which is an absolutely outstanding save by Theo Snelders, by the way, it wasn't a bad penalty at all by uh, Anton. Yeah. What was going through your mind as you're stepping up to take that penalty? Just hit the target. Um, no, I think it was positive by that time. It was negative in the sudden death. And all credit to the four guys, again, I can name them, Big Alex, Stuart McKimmy, David Robertson and young Graham Watson, who had the confidence to hit a penalty in the sudden death. Because at that point, if, if we'd missed Celtic have already scored so they'd have won the cup so they had the confidence to, and the pressure was really on these type of guys even Charlie Nicholas in the five because that was it as well it was almost sudden death there as well but in my situation it was a win-win because the 
of course, a great save by Theo and a good enough penalty by Rogan, but a great save by Theo means that I'm in a win-win position. If I, I go forward to hit the winner, yeah. and if, as opposed to staying in the game, and if the worst happens and I miss, it just keeps it on. But, you know, it was a win-win, so I just made my mind up, I'm going to play it where the ball where I actually played it and then thankfully just before I hit the ball I saw Paddy Bonner drag the other way so I thought this goes where I want we're in it's okay so yeah. that split second where I knew that it looks as if we'll be okay we'll go in the cup and sure enough it hits the back of the net and as I see the, I see the 20,000 uh, fans celebrating and just copping the euphoria of it yeah I mean it's fantastic and Pat Bonner of course at the time was you know an, an Irish internationalist and a, and a fantastic goalkeeper a formidable figure in between the sticks yeah well he played the World Cup for Ireland that's right, year, and that's right. I, I think in a penalty shootout he, he saved one against Italy I think when he beat Italy in the quarterfinals or, yeah. or sorry the one before the quarterfinals so this wasn't to be Paddy's day, thankfully. It was not to on this occasion. It was obviously Aberdeen's day, and, and for me, it was my day, and, and just being in the right place at the right time to hit the winner. Do you still get people in the street now who come up to you and say, "We were there on that day when you scored that penalty"? Thankfully, yes, Grant. Thankfully. I mean, when the day they stop doing that, they'll maybe worry because I think, oh, that's gone completely. <laughs> no, the reason, so that, the, reason, the reason I ask is because, you know, there's some big moments in footballing past and, you know, people forget about them over time, but, you know, this is a very significant moment in Aberdeen's recent history. I think so. I mean, it's, you're saying recent, it's 30 years ago, it's a year older than you are, but it's, it's to me, it's still recent. And, yeah, hopefully it's recent. I hope it will go on for even longer, you know, because... Aberdeen won the cup in 1970 as well and people still talk about that even though it wasn't the last time Aberdeen won it so yeah I would hope that this is one of these things that's happened that you've managed to get in a situation that you've contributed to your favourite team doing something uh, in, the, in the Scottish game it means that people remember it so I'd like to think it would be hopefully remembered not just this year but in the future as well yeah absolutely and I was looking at some of your stats here you, you made over 300 appearances for Aberdeen in your time at club you were there for 13 years which is a phenomenal ratio when you think about it you know being there for so long at club when you see the current crop of players nowadays you know there's not many that stay at a club maybe three seasons and they're away maximum the, to be there for for 12 13 seasons is is absolutely fantastic stuff Oh, that's great. Yeah, was, well, that's my goal was to be an Aberdeen player. And ideally, if I'd been able to finish my career, I'd have loved to have done that. But football doesn't work that way. And it was Roy Aitken was the manager at the time, and, and that was taken away from me in 1997. Uh, so yeah. this is the way I was fortunate to get 12, 12 years. Uh, I was a little player, and I'm certainly loyal to Aberdeen. And yeah. uh, that was a privilege to play all that time for Aberdeen in all those games. Yeah. Oh, I think the year we nearly did it in the last game against Rangers, that's a big regret because, you know, that's as close as we could have got without actually winning it because we're not in the last game. Mm -hmm. It's just that Rangers um, were playing at Ibrox and at Rangers to, they had to win or else we'd have won the league. And so that was a year after the Scottish Cup. So that, from the high of, of winning the Scottish Cup, that would be the low point that you didn't quite manage to win the league because if we'd won the league that year, we'd have stopped Rangers nine in a row in the it would be the third or fourth year they've won the league before they yes. went on to do nine and 
that was the that was the year we could have done it, and it's so close. So that's where I regret. But that's just the way it is. That's football. We, we ran them close that year. We should have. We should have won it without a doubt. Uh, the other years were second, but we're always just on their tail coats most of the time. I mean, Rangers were a really good team yeah. during the nine row era, um, but that year, particular '91, we should have. We should have just managed to hold on at Ibrox to get the. The draw would have been enough, but it wouldn't been down for a draw. We'll go for a win. Unfortunately, didn't get enough. Didn't get the draw. Yeah, I was. I was reading something here from that ninety-one season because you were, you had to go in goal, didn't you, in one particular match against Hibs, and you saved a penalty. Yeah, I played in the goal three times over my career because in, the, in those era there was no sub goalies. That's right. Um, so when the goalie got injured or sent off or whatever, had a replacement to take his take the jersey. So I did a couple of clean sheets, one against Hamilton and one really. Uh, more notable one against Rangers and now now at Petrodry one day a really wet day Petrodry that Theo got a bad injury and I had to go off and I took his place and played in the goal for half an hour but the one against Hibs was down at Easter Road and it was a penalty I'd given away and uh, <laughs> Theo had argued about it and uh, he sent off for it but I went into face the penalty and managed to save the penalty yeah. so it was you went from zero to hero. That's absolutely fantastic. What a story that is. Um, it, it, it you know, when you concede a penalty of that description, and then you have that mindset to go in between the sticks when something happens like that, emotions and and you know, sort of the how the way the game has gone, it must just be such a blur. Yeah, I mean, it was all, that all happened pretty quick. Well, when you're talking about it now, I can actually remember it was a wet coat, a wet November day, so it was cold, it was at East Road, the old East Road with the slope, it was down the slope. And I just remember thinking, well, what am I doing? I didn't know where to, really, I know I'm in the goal here, and it's easy enough to say I can go the goalie, but I don't have a clue about goalkeeping. Yeah. And it was Paddy McGinley was the goalie, uh, sorry, the, Pat McGinley was the striker to take the penalty into me. And he blasted it straight down the middle, and of course, he just hit me. Yeah. Um, and it, I think the rebounder scrambled to get it and managed to get it before the rebound went in. So yeah. it was just a case of not beginner's luck, but it was just like, well, thankfully, he just hit it straight at me. And, you know, I said it. So, yeah, that's the, the real story. The, the hero story would be that I made a great save, but really it was a case I didn't know what to do and I couldn't get away with it. Well, it's quite, it's quite funny, isn't it? Because how often have we seen penalties in football just be blasted straight down the middle? Yeah, I mean, that's. If you're not a goalkeeper, I think you're better just taking your chance and maybe standing still. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one out of three or whatever, you'll maybe get it if you just instead of diving the one way or the other. Yeah. Did you tell Theo Stelders that? <laughs> um, of the 28 goals you scored in an Aberdeen shirt, what's the most memorable one you'd scored? Well, um, most were tap ins or headers. But there was um, a couple of more skillful ones. One at Clyde Bank in the Scottish Cup. Uh, we won 4-3 a replay down at Colbury. And a wee bit of a, on the edge of the box, take a, take a turn and swiveled and shot. And it was quite a good fit strike. But I think the best goal I scored was in that relegation year where we, we nearly got relegated. Yes. Um, in, the, in the Easter Sunday we played, uh, weekend, sorry, we played Celtic. 
And John Miller again had crossed the ball and it touched down with outside of my right foot. And as the ball then bounced and then hit it with my left. And again, Paddy Bonner was the, the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. but the ball flew by him. And that's probably the best, most most skillful yeah. goal I've seen. Almost messy esque. <laughs> Fantastic. When you're in a relegation battle and, you know, if you lose, you're out of the top league. How nervous and how much pressure are you personally and the team under? Massive. Everybody's different. Some people shrug it off. Some people take it eat on their shoulder without a problem. For me, I take it on the way the world's on my shoulders. And so that game against Indian United that year, the relegation year, the tension was so high. And, and the, the, what was really good about that, it's a bit like the situation we're in just now in the, the lockdown. You know, it was just, it was just such a, a negative thing, but the public got behind it and made it such a, a positive thing. So that other people that were behind us, even though all we're trying to do is get out of relegation trouble. Yeah. And as I said just now, it's a bit like that, where they seem the best in people and just helping people and being kind to people. I think that's that's a good thing from the, the current situation we're in. Yeah. But the thing, the thing that made me was just so nervous was that, as you say there, if we'd lost, and United would have survived and we'd have been relegated. And so that day in Pretoria, I was so nervous in the game and just so delighted to get a 2-1 Victory. And I remember going off the game, the game at the end of the night, and I went to kiss the jersey to the fans to celebrate the, the win. And not until after the game, I realised I kissed the Umbro badge instead of kissing the actual Aberdeen badge. <laughs> and mistake. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And and let's yeah. let's talk about Pataudry as a stadium because I, I I've been to many Aberdeen games kind of growing up, and you know the it, it's 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 really is home. And obviously we've, there's all this talk about moving to Kingsford, which is is part for another discussion. But you know when you're playing in front of the Pataudry faithful, did you feel pressure or did you just thrive on the support? Yeah, I think that's a better dis- description. I just thrived in the support. For me, Petrodi is Aberdeen's home. As you say, it's for another day, you know, the, the discussion about Aberdeen moving to Kingsford. But for me, Petrodi is Aberdeen Football Club, and so there's so much memories. And it's, you know, I just associate, I go back to a game, whether it's the Hibs game or that. Yeah. Uh, just or when it's the next game when we get back you know that's what it's about but life's different and as you said earlier football's always changing and so if it's to be a new uh, stadium we're based in it'll be a new stadium for me just now Petrodi's what Aberdeen's all about yeah absolutely and, and is another interesting dynamic to this question in a way you know obviously in the world of social media now a lot of fans maybe have expectations that are maybe too high on Aberdeen, I mean, when you were playing, did you feel that there was extra pressure and expectations either brought on by yourself or by the fans? You know, what what was that like? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was both. Expectations were pretty high on myself, but the reason the expectations were so high, I wasn't playing for Falkirk now, so when I was playing for Aberdeen, I went to Aberdeen and right away you picked up whether it was the reserves or the first team, you don't you don't lose games. Because <laughs> Aberdeen were, I mean, this is mid-80s when Aberdeen were, had won the championship two years. It's hard to believe nowadays with Celtic dominating and Rangers having dominated the, the league over the years. 
you know, the Aberdeen were the current champions, so you were used to winning. And so you had this, if you lost a, a game, you didn't lose the next game. Yes. If you lost a goal, you didn't even try and lose a goal the next game. So that was the expectation and the standards you had set and, yeah. and work at it, training, you would try to make that happen. So yeah, there's standards and expectations today, but, you know, again, it's not... Pardon really what it was in the mid 80s yeah. but it was more intense it was more like you cannot lose a game and yeah. when you lost a game which you did occasionally yeah. you know you would make sure you did all you could to avoid that happening again yeah no absolutely and I think that's a very interesting thought and I was glad to ask that question because I just wanted to see how that you know differentiation was from then to, to obviously now um, you obviously as I said played at Aberdeen for 12-13 seasons um, did you feel when you finished your time at Aberdeen that you'd done all you could? No, no, I thought I'd done finished business. And so the, the little sting in the tail, if you like, was that I went to Dundee, because as I say, I was released by Roy Aiken. Dundee took me up, went to the first division with Dundee, the championship, and we won the championship. So I came back up to the Premier the second year. And then in the second year, when I was competing against Indian United and Aberdeen and the Premier teams, Dundee actually managed to, managed to finish fifth, which was above Dundee United yeah. and above Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing a game against Aberdeen in April of the, towards the end of the season, winning 2-1. To, convict, to convince them, um, to make sure it would finish above Aberdeen and in the United in that, that season. So that gave me a bit of satisfaction because I thought nobody else is bothered. But I thought Roy had let me go when I had still something to offer. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, to myself, if nobody else had proved that was the case. Yeah. And as footballers, when you kind of go back to play your old clubs, you almost have that point to prove, don't you? And how often do we see old players scoring against their old teams? It's, it, it happens almost all the time. You could basically write a script. This is so true. I mean, uh, I'm speaking from my own situation there, and that was the way I felt. I didn't think anybody really cared or bothered, but I certainly felt, you know, I'd proved my point that Roy had let me go too early. But yeah, you, you see it repeated all over more dramatically with somebody who scored a winning goal, you know, to, to beat his old team. It just seems to be the, the, the quicker footballer. Everybody gets a chance to almost something or whether it's something that's just coincidental or whether it's just you try that bit harder I don't know what the reason is but it certainly happens an awful lot of times yeah, I was I was a bit hasty to move to onto the Dundee side because obviously when you left Aberdeen night seven you you had a testimonial game uh, against Wimbledon who you know everybody associates Wimbledon with you know that that FA Cup victory and you know the the, the crazy gang I mean what a fantastic send off for you know a legend of Aberdeen and yourself. Oh, that was nice. The testimony was lovely. To think that Andy turned up to say hello to me or goodbye to me was was fantastic, you know. And it was, it was an emotional night. I remember being, you know, a few times tears eyes um, during the evening. Um, fantastic memory, you know. And, and as I say. What a, I couldn't have asked for a, a better send-off as it turned out, getting the chance to play in a testimonial match against Wimbledon. It was um, Vinnie Jones didn't play in the game, but it was the time of the Vinnie Jones and the crazy guy. Yeah. And, and you know, they gave a good account at Wimbledon. They, they beat us 2-1. But, you know, the fact that 
one person would have turned up to see bye to me was, was, was moving to me so yeah. just to get the crowd I got and it was after I think it had been three testimonials in the about the season or the two seasons Stuart McKimmy Brian Grant and myself so it was a big ask in the Aberdeen public to come out again from our player yeah. and I was just delighted and thoroughly honoured You mentioned Vinnie Jones I would have loved to have seen that head to head battle <laughs> I know, I saw him in the, the Harry's Heroes thing on the TV yes. during the week here, and, and it was great because he, he's just a normal guy, he's, he's certainly just done amazing things in his, his life, but yeah. uh, again, it just shows in football and life, you just got to work hard and make the best of what you've got, and who knows where it'll take you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you finished up your playing days at Ross County, um, a club that I've a big soft spot for, I've got I've got a few pals of mine who are who are uh, staggy supporters, I mean, what's Ross County like as a club for to you Brian? It's been okay. I mean, I'm still living in Inverness 20 years ago. I moved up to sign 21 years ago to sign for Ross County. So I played four years and then got involved in the coaching and, and things after the football before I did other things. But, you know, it's, it's been a club that I've been involved um, quite a lot with. Um, but I would... It's, it's, it's not the same feel as if Aberdeen were playing Ross County you know I wouldn't think well I don't know who I want to win here it's not as if it's a, it's, it's a strong appeal that Aberdeen has to me it's um, it's been a club it's been good I've enjoyed my time as I say I've been up here in over 20 years so you know there must be something that's good about it it's a, what it is it's a lovely part of the world we're up here and it's close enough to Aberdeen that if I need to get back whether it's to a game or back to Aberdeen for any reason you know yeah. it's easy enough under normal circumstances it's easy enough to get back to Aberdeen not yeah. just now obviously yeah, obviously but, yeah uh, Absolutely, yeah, it, it's a fantastic club and it's a club that's going from strength to strength, isn't it? Because obviously back in the early 90s, you know, Ross County were a third division club, they just moved into the, that pyramid system and, you know, they were they were really unknown and now they're, they're, they're a competent premiership side who have obviously won a couple of cups as well, or been involved in yeah, a couple I mean, of cup finals, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh, my job was to take Ross County from the lower leagues, the second division it was at the time, which we did and went to the first division, which is the championship. And then it was to pass the baton on to the next group of guys. And the next group of guys have come in and, and done well as well. And Derek Cardins, for example, did really well as a manager um, on a couple of occasions. You know, so there's been people there and, and, and current manager Stevie Ferguson. Um, they're doing a great job just now. So, you know, these people have carried the baton on and, and carried the the progress of Ross County onto the, le the level that is now whether on a savage Premier League club. Yeah, it's fantastic and I hope it continues to be a really successful story because as I said I've got a big soft spot for the Highland sides. Um, Brian, you made um, quite a few caps for Scotland as well. Um, to represent your country is an honour, isn't it? I mean, you know, it doesn't does it get, I mean apart from scoring a penalty in a cup final, it doesn't get any better than that also representing your country, does it? No, not at all. You're right. It's what on. And it's only when you stay or scoring a winning penalty and, and playing for Scotland that you realise, well, that wasn't too bad, your career. You know, you, because it was so long ago now, I retired in 2003, it was so long ago that it's almost memory now. And you begin to think that somebody else it happened to. But, you know, when I recall what happened, speaking with yourself just now, for example, you think, well, that wasn't too bad. That was right. Like, I'm saying I was fan in the park it was just forced to be a, a player but th you know that that's some experiences that I've enjoyed yeah. and so playing for, playing for Scotland without a doubt is a dream come true for me I mean it, 
nine times, which was, was fantastic. It just happened once. It didn't happen, but it happened nine times. So very, very fortunate to play for Scotland against. I remember playing against uh, Italy. Uh, Roberto Baggio with Italy, Ruth Hulot with Holland, Jürgen Feinstein with Germany. And I don't think they're standing or sitting somewhere tonight speaking a podcast and they play against Brian Irving, but you know, I'll name drop. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Baggio because everybody remembers that iconic Italian 90 goal. And you know, I'm a big Gazetta Football Italia fan growing up, and you know, I remember him in his sort of days at Juventus and then latterly when he finished up at Brescia, and you know, a, a really, really great talent. and you know, so many great players that you pop that list. Rude Hewlett is another one. Yeah, I mean, I also played in Rude Hewlett's last game for Holland. Right. So, I was playing for Scotland against Holland. They beat us 3-1, but I was against Hewlett. Half time he was taken off. He never played for Holland again. So, let's finish the story there. And it makes it sound like I had a good game against him. <laughs> the game. The truth was he had a fallout or an argument with Dick Advocate at the time and they were going to Holland, uh, sorry, going to America to play in the World Cup and we were just playing a, a friendly, a, a Scotland were making up the opponents and I think he had an argument with Dick, Dick, um, Dick Hewlett, yeah. had an argument with Dick Advocate, sorry, and as a result that's why he fell out and thankfully for me he never came back out for the second half. Yeah, I was trying to... Yeah, I was trying to remember who was Scotland manager in at that time. Was it Andy Roxburgh that was manager, or did Craig Brown come in at that time? No, this was Craig. This time it was Craig Brown, and uh, it was Andy Roxburgh initially when I was playing with the early days with Scotland, but then it was Craig Brown yeah. for the majority of my cast. But yeah, that, going back to that Holland game, as I say, Rudolph was a he was like a giant of a man, and, and it was a, it was quite awesome to play against him. And, you know, and I, can't, I, I was just so glad he never came back out for that second half and it might be more than 3-1. Yeah, yeah, I mean, an absolutely fantastic player. Let's talk about Craig Brown because he's obviously been a, a previous guest of this uh, parish. I mean, what's Craig like as a manager? Because he's just a font of knowledge, isn't he? Absolutely, and really thorough. He's from, from a school teacher background, him and Andy Rocks, probably that same out. But, uh, so that gave him that experience in that kind of organisation that when it came to the football side if you want to see you combine it with the football you can't be a school teacher and be a, a, a football manager but if you've got a combination of both and you knows how football is working you can you know you've to angle it a certain way to make it acceptable with footballs then the organisation comes over really well and that was the way with Craig he was really organised and thorough in his preparation and his training and the games and who you're playing against and you were no doubt who you're up against and how his weaknesses were and where he was good and where he was bad as an opponent so thorough as a manager and an extra and a lovely lovely man as well as, as you, you know now yeah he's got great humour yeah he's a fantastic uh, character as well in terms of his, his personality so yeah I, I, I was that was another I was very fortunate to play under so many great managers you know we're speaking about Alec Ferguson but then you go to Craig Brown you can go to Billy Lamont at Falkett in their own rights it's qualities that you learn from and, and just uh, feed off it's, it's just a privilege you get the chance to, to work under these men yeah yeah absolutely um, obviously you, you've had a career that's spanned over 20 years Brian um, in terms of players that you've come up against who was your hardest opponent um, for the Scotland, I would say Roberto Baggio. 
and for the best of well, I see Mark Cately and Alec McCoy, Alec McCoy's from the Rangers because there were a handful of two yeah. of them for different reasons. So that would be the two, Alec McCoy's and Mark Cately for Rangers. Um, but Roberto Baggio, I remember playing in the game against Italy and he was just telepathic in his movement and his anticipation so it was very hard to as a defender to try and mark him because you're kind of always having to chase him rather than trying to anticipate and you could never anticipate what he was doing you were always having to chase after him so he was he would be the, the most difficult opponent but sometimes your most difficult opponent was in a reserve game yeah. from an un, unknown player you know it just depended on the night if somebody was in top form up against you and to have a bad night or whatever so football's a funny game but these were certainly the bigger names that most people would recognise were the most difficult opponents. Yes, no, absolutely and you mentioned Haley and McCoist, I mean two uh, absolute legends of Rangers. Did you think that, certainly Ali in particular, did you think he would go into management and then obviously do a bit of punditry which he's doing now? Did you think he would go down that route? Oh, I can see him being a pundit because he, he had the boss uh, that in the Gavin Park. He was so, you maybe think he'd manage to keep him out of the park game for 90 minutes, you know, but for that wee split second he'd pop up. He'd be having a joke with you all, all during the game and then he'd just pop up and score a winner against you, you yeah. know, and go away past you running back to halfway how you doing big man type of thing and you know try and have a, a quick for you even there when he just scored against you so he was just you, you could you could always see to be a, a, a gift to the dad man and he's done well in the, in the TV side of it yeah. but maybe more of a surprise in the management but I think in management everybody's a surprise because there's a lot of players that I've thought would never have thought Ray McKinnon's one for example I never thought he'd been a manager uh, and, you know these type of guys that when you're younger I think when you're older you maybe mature and become more experienced to help you become a manager so you know yeah it was a bit of a surprise that Alan McCoy became the manager at Rangers but he did a reasonable job I think in a difficult time Absolutely. for Rangers yeah, no, absolutely. It was a very difficult time for Rangers at that point. Um, let's talk about um, you know the, the latter stages of your career. And what I wanted to talk about, which was very interesting, is the the mental side of the game. Because you know we we spoke about the physical and mental side of the game. Certainly in your la in your kind of earlier years. At your latter years, did you feel you'd gained a lot more experience based on instances beforehand at your days at Falkirk? Yeah, I mean, that's where experience counts. You know, you're, you're just basically building up a bike of experiences of what, what worked, what didn't work, and you put them into practice, most of it, without thinking. You know, it all becomes automatic. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just experience from an older player, and then you hopefully pass it on to younger players. That's hard to me when I was a young player. I, I picked up off the previous generation. That's just like passing the baton on. It's, it's just like passing your experience on to yeah. younger players. And that, that's how it was for me as a younger player, and that's how hopefully I've tried to be maybe not as good, but as best I could passing it on to younger players underneath me when I was a, an older player at Aberdeen, Ross yeah. When you're wrapping up your career, um, I often feel, and I've asked a few ex-professional footballers this, that the stage after football is the hardest bit. Was it for you? Did you think you'd go into coaching or whatever you're doing now afterwards? Yeah, it's, it's been the hardest part is, is after football, uh, without a doubt. Um, 
I'm not a Paul Gascoigne that I lose. I'm off off the rails and think, well, what's he doing now? But everybody's got difficulties to, to deal with uh, because the football's gone. And the one thing you use a football, you can't do now. Yeah. Um, I've been, I was fortunate enough to get a few opportunities in coaching abroad as well, both in America. As I say, a finale in Korea in 2015 when I went out there. So that gave me some experiences, but I never got into the coaching the way that you know a manager has got in and made a name for himself. So that football, because you know that football fix that you got as a player and that managers get as a manager or a coach. It's taken away from you when you're out of the game, yes. and so there's no. I can't even put a more positive spin on it, which I've done with other things. But it's just it's difficult. It's really difficult. Now I'm I'm involved in the service street, if you like, where I just do a couple. Of, I've got a couple of jobs just now. I was in the police. I tried the police in Aberdeen, so I saw a different side of Aberdeen in, in the police because yeah. uh, I was based in Aberdeen. But, um, Currently, I'm, I'm working in a stockroom in the Marks and Spencers and helping a care officer with a young, a young man uh, to look after. We're learning difficulties, so right. it's just everyday jobs, but everyday jobs that everybody's got to do. Absolutely. And hopefully, do them well, but it's quite hard when you've had that high of football yeah. and just to try and adapt your life after football. And I would have to say that's more difficult than some of your toughest toughest games yeah. was there a part of you that ever considered moving away from Scotland to you know, lead a different life in America or Korea as you mentioned uh, not so much Korea um, but certainly America I would have liked to have taken that opportunity I didn't quite get the opportunity because I was going over there myself my wife and daughters were just well my daughters were just at that age of leaving school at the time so to uproot them and take them over to America would have been quite a big um, disruption to their lives I think mm-hmm. so you just said to put, put them before your ambitions yes. um, because if it had just been a, for example if I went over and finished my career playing in America mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to have done that as well uh, I took a player boy called Adam Moffat who I'd worked with at Ross County had him under me Elgin as a manager and then I, gave him, I got a connection to the team I went out to in, in Cleveland and got him set up in the, the Cleveland team and eventually he, he had a full career in America yeah. that's the type of experience I never quite liked but it just fell for him at the right time he was in the I spoke about the penalty shoot it would be in the right place at the right time for me it would have been ideal if America had worked but it was the wrong the right place at the wrong time for me with, with America because my girls were too old and you know I was always my home was always coming back to the UK yes. and it wasn't really on to make a new home in America but I've had some good experiences still good connections in America that I've been back and forward over the years too so the next best thing but you know that certainly was it's one of these things you just have to you can't have any um, what's the word regrets it's just it's just the way it is it is what it is no no I Absolutely, I think that's a very interesting question I wanted to ask you. Um, we're coming to the end of the podcast, Brian. I've really enjoyed our discussion. It's really great to chat with an Aberdeen legend. It's not every day you get to do that. Um, two questions before we wrap up. Obviously, the current Aberdeen team at the moment is a question I want to ask. Um, obviously, Derek McInnes has been at the helm now for the best part of six plus years. I mean, you know, they've won the League Cup. You know, they've been doing reasonably well in the league. And you know, what, what's your thoughts on Derek since he's taken over? He's he's done pretty well, hasn't he, on the whole? 
Oh yeah, I think you, you can't criticise Derek because his, his record is good as I mean, his, his win loss record's probably as, on, a, on a par with Arif Ferguson that's as good as that and you know, the one big thing he's not managed to get is you know, the same number of cups and trophies that Alex Ferguson got but um, you know, we'll all remember was it the 2014 cup final the league cup final when Aberdeen took over Parkhead yeah. uh, the fans, you know, that's a memorable picture in my head of that occasion and you know that was what a day we'll never forget as well so yeah some great moments and you know a lot of games that he's they've dug out wins for but you know maybe just missed that they've just been just, just, just maybe I'm missing but it's not through I think lack of trying for Derek because he's continually renewing the team and changing the team and, and freshening it up and you know and currently they're, they're, start, they're sitting in a in our season now we'll go into Europe you know we'll go into the European qualifications next year so you know I've, I've got nothing but positive about Derek and you know some fans have got a few more harsh words to say but yeah. mine's, mine's are all positive about Derek yeah I mean my, my only regret really is either not winning another trophy like the Scottish Cup the 2017 final still wrangles with me to this day and and maybe maybe getting to that at least the playoff round in the Europa League that's probably my my only real criticism but you know you're absolutely right he's having to change the team almost every second or every first season and it can be quite difficult when you lose players like Adam Rooney Niall McGinn obviously come back but obviously Johnny Hayes Kenny McLean Graham Shinney more notably very difficult to replace these players yeah I I think for everybody whether it's a manager or a player we were speaking about making it or not making it as a player earlier it's the same as a manager it's a fine line in football yeah. and it's so hard to, to cross that fine line and it just takes not just luck it takes a lot of things that can just make the difference between crossing that fine line on the positive side or crossing that side, fine line on the negative side and it's not doesn't make you any less or more of a person it's just it's just circumstances and, and I think on the whole Derek's been quite unfortunate he's not quite crossed that fine line in the positive side more than what would have liked whether it's UCL Cup win or whether it's a, a European qualif- for the qualification stage you'd like to get to he just hasn't quite managed to cross that for one reason or another yeah no absolutely we certainly hope he continues to do so and obviously Dave Cormack has come into the club I mean what's your thoughts on that because you know he seems like a breath of fresh air Absolutely, I think he's got that um, business head on him that's very successful. He's been very successful in his own business. And, you know, the American way, he gives him that positive outlook. The American way is so, generally, you know, have a nice day. It's the way that Americans work and, you know, and that's a bit cliche, but that's, that's, that sums it up really it's a positive attitude they've got and I think Dave Cormack displays all that positive attitude now he's the chairman that can only be a good thing I think for Aberdeen Football Club yeah, yeah. I had to mention Dave Cormack in this podcast because as I've recorded this on the 21st of May I was listening to the Clyde 1 Super Scoreboard before I was chatting to you Brian and uh, Gordon Diel was on and called him Dave McCormack which I thought was quite funny and I ribbed him on the Facebook Live so I just wanted to get that and I thought that was absolutely fantastic my last question to you Brian um, what does the future hold for yourself? Well, I mean, I'm just, I just take it one day at a time. Um, I had my health scare about 20, 25 years ago now. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really want to mention that, but I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, you, it says here that you had multiple sclerosis. Yes, 
so you know that was not a good thing at the time but I've been very fortunate and I've just dealt with it one day at a time don't take my health for granted and just thankful for my health mm-hmm. and every day so you know that's what it is and um, you know again that puts a lot of things in perspective mm-hmm. and that put a lot of things for, that was a life changing moment for me in terms of you know this is a life changing experience I think we're all going through as a, a world and and a nation at the time, you know, because it will never be the same again, that was another experience for me that it was just a changing a life changing moment and it put things in perspective of what's important in life and, you know, that's that's what it's done for me it's told me to appreciate one day at a time, try to make the best of one day at a time, and still look for opportunities, unfortunately football looks as if it's over for me just now had a great career and great innings as football, finished it in 2015 or so, that was about 35 years as a football involvement with football. So, but hopefully, it may not be over yet. I think I'm getting to that stage. I'm 55 next week, so I'm getting a wee bit past it in terms of I'm not going to be able to run about the field the way I can play. I wouldn't get to yeah. the next player game now, for example, even. But you know, if there's an opportunity, I enjoy the thing in Korea where I got a consultancy role, giving advice and guidance and help, passing that experience on who knows it may come up it may come up it may not come up if it doesn't I've just got on with what I'm doing just now or got on with something similar I don't know Yeah. so I just take it one day at a time yeah well when this podcast gets released people will have obviously wished you happy birthday by then and I'm going to say that just now happy birthday when it comes um, oh, Brian, okay, thanks. Brian I've, I've really enjoyed our discussion and you know you've you've put a big smile on my face just chatting about old times and chatting about Aberdeen and you know it, it really was fantastic to just hear some of those memories and, and the stories of your fabulous career thanks for being a part of the Campbell's Fools podcast Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time as well, Grant. Take care now. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91 on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.